we just changed our program a little bit. <laughs> so maybe does, Hamilton does have something on us. <laughs> so we are just going to move right to our scripture lesson this morning. But prior to that, I want to tell you a little Church of the Palms story. Friday, two days ago, we laid to rest one of our church family. Her name was Martha Church. Many of you knew Martha, but many of you didn't. Martha, like all of us, had a wonderful story. She had a PhD in geography, traveled to seven, all seven continents, was on the board of trustees of the National Geographic Society, and was the president of two colleges over the course of 20 plus years. She shaped the lives of thousands and thousands of college students, and after all that, she came to Sarasota and eventually made Church of the Palms her family. And for the last seven or so years, Martha was kind of everywhere. She ushered, and she was a Stephen minister. She was in the C.S. Lewis group, attended Wednesday night dinners, Global Partners Committee music concerts. She was on the Legacy Society. And just about every week, we found her in the church office, either stuffing envelopes or making phone calls for us. Hardly a day went by that Martha was not on our campus. Martha just gave and gave and gave because this was her family, she said, and because she believed what we were doing was important. A couple of years ago, she came to me and she said, you know, when I die, I want my family to get everything that I have. And that's exactly what she did. Now, why do I tell you that story? Why well, I tell you that story because in a little bit, we will be making our way up these aisles, making our commitments of time and talent and treasure, our COP family. And when we do so, we should never forget what this family means to so many different people, what joy is found here within who we are and what we do, and what we do and how it changes our lives. When we give, two lives get changed, right? The givers and the givees. And when we walk down these aisles, we should never forget the difference that's being made in so many different people's lives, one quiet person at a time. And we should never forget that when we walk down these aisles, we are preceded by the saints before us, surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses, and that even today, folks like our dear sister Martha will be walking with us. Thanks be to God. Our scripture this morning is taken from Psalm 103 and also from Luke chapter 14. Hear the word of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we were made, and he remembers that we are dust. And then these words from Luke chapter 14. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to Jesus, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many, and at the time for the dinner he sent a slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see to it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to the master, and then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has already been done, and there's still room. And then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. So the story is told of a man who went into a diner for some breakfast, and the waitress came to take his order and asked what he wanted. The man said, I want, I want a couple of eggs and a few kind words. The waitress went and placed his order. A few minutes later, he came back and put the eggs in front of the man and turned to walk away. And the man said, hey, wait a minute. You know, where are my few kind words? And the waitress said, don't eat the eggs. <laughs> Two eggs and a few kind words. One of the millions of things of which I know little about is the restaurant business, though we have a full-time food pantry and food service run so ably by our food ministry director, Kathy Robinette, I still wouldn't pretend to know the ins and outs of running a restaurant. So I may be showing my ignorance when I imagine out loud with you that the two basic elements of a pretty healthy balance of, of a good restaurant are, is a pretty healthy balance between good food and good service. A couple decent eggs, a few kind words. When I lived in New Jersey, there was a stretch of road that I often traveled, and there was a location on the road where there was always a restaurant, and it, and it seemed that every two or three years, there would be this sign outside that announced the coming of new management, new management, new name, new cuisine, and shortly thereafter, there would be a parking lot full of cars, and, and yet hope that a business was making a go of it. But then it would seem within two or three years, invariably, the parking lot would get emptier and emptier, and before you knew it, a vacant sign was posted. A couple years later, sure enough, a new sign, new management, new name, new cuisine. I'm guessing over about 20 years, five restaurants came and went. Location is what many said, but I always wondered if really the issue was either food or service. Two eggs. And a few kind words. 
I read a while ago in the Wall Street Journal about a guy named Phil Hagens who owned and operated a McDonald's in one of the tougher sections of Houston's inner city. It was the kind of neighborhood that had a history of being an area where restaurants went to die. The economy, they said, was just not strong enough to support a food venture of any kind. But Mr. Hagens, having grown up in that neighborhood, gave it a try. And at first he learned what they were talking about when he opened up his McDonald's. People were not flooding in when he opened the door. So he realized it was time to do something different. So he decided to care. He decided to care about the people in the neighborhood. Began with the kids he employed. He started to care about them. He counseled them through family problems, became their tutor for school. He ingrained in them a work ethic, taught them how to dress and the importance of showing up on time found himself serving as a surrogate parent. Then he started going out to the neighborhood and visiting churches and daycare centers to find out how his little McDonald's could help them. He went to high schools and started running training sessions for teenage job seekers so they could learn how to conduct themselves during interviews and how to make out applications. Then he started providing books for his employees who went to college, set up equivalency courses for kids who had dropped out of high school, even hired a gospel group to serenade churchgoers while they ate their Egg McMuffins on their way to church. It became a problem because people began staying later and later to listen to the gospel group and didn't go to church. <laughs> he switched it to Sunday afternoon. But before he knew it, Phil Hagen's had a thriving restaurant, not just because of the quarter pounders with cheese, as good as they are, but they were really coming because of how Phil Hagen's treated people. They were coming because they knew Phil Hagen's cared. Two eggs and a few kind words. At one point along the way, I read the restaurants lose 68% of their customers because customers perceive they don't care. Two eggs and a few kind words. The truth is, I suppose, that not only could those words be a maxim for a good restaurant and its management, but maybe they speak to the two fundamental needs of human existence. That in the end, we need the basics for our bodies, and we also need sustenance for our souls. I suppose it's a little what Jesus was getting at when he told the story about the man who decided to throw a party. The Bible calls it a feast, a dinner, but today we would call it a party. A man decides to throw a party. And he sends out invitations far and wide, and the response to the party is pretty disappointing. Lots of regrets, lots of excuses, lots of empty chairs. Now, it used to be, when I preached and taught in this passage, that I spent most of my time kind of, you know, drilling down on all the excuses why people won't come to the party. But then it dawned on me that maybe, maybe they didn't go to the party because they doubted whether the party was going to be the party it was supposed to be. Because, you know, when you go to a party, you go to get some food for your body, but maybe more so you go to get some food for your soul. And maybe what they wondered was whether they were going to get the few kind words. Maybe they wondered if anybody really cared that they came. I read a while back about a guy named Frank Golio. Frank Golio owned a little restaurant up in Wareham, Massachusetts, a little Ma and Pa restaurant. And along the way, Frank Golio unfortunately had a heart attack, a pretty serious one that required some time for recovery, but thank God he recovered. And when he got his strength back, he was just overwhelmed with gratitude. He had dodged the bullet. He had been given a second chance. 
So he decided to offer a free lunch. 30 days, he was offering a free lunch to anyone who wanted to come in. Come as many days as you want, free lunch, free roast beef and potatoes, free haddock and Creole sauce, you name it, it's yours. Free lunch for 30 days. And what happened? Very few came. They said it was some sort of gimmick. They said it had to be a catch. Too good to be true, no such thing as a free lunch. And Frank's reply was, all he had to do was believe. So Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a party, but as soon as he says it, he knows that maybe nobody's going to take his word for it. So what did Jesus do? Jesus partied. He didn't just talk party. He did a party. If there was anything that Jesus got accused of, it was that he partied too much. He's a glutton and drunkard, the religious people said. He parties with the wrong crowd, the righteous people said. He eats with tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees said. And while there may be a thousand reasons why Jesus chose to live on the wild side, don't you wonder if maybe one of the big reasons was that he had some convincing to do. And the convincing had to do with showing that the love and favor of God was exactly that. Loving and favorable. Loving and favorable to all. And there's no better way to prove that than to throw a party. A couple of eggs and a few kind words. And it's these few kind words. It's these few kind words. That's where the party is. Right? If the heart of the gospel is the unconditional love of God... The heart of the gospel is the unmerited grace of Jesus Christ. It's that substance that is the real meal. And the service is the few kind words. Years ago, I was traveling to Scotland for a period of study, and as it turned out, I was able to get an inexpensive seat on Air Canada flying through Toronto. So we all have our air travel horror stories, and this is mine. So my flight was delayed leaving Newark, which meant that we arrived late in Toronto, which meant I had 30 minutes to catch my connection. So when I got off the plane, I looked at the monitor, and the monitor for my connecting flight said, proceed to door 7. So I took, it took me a couple minutes to figure out where door 7 was, and so I ran over to door 7, and when I got to door 7, I was met by a, a flight person, and that person said that uh, if I go through door 7, I will meet a bus, and that bus will take me to the terminal where the plane is. So I go out of the, out of the door, and I wait for the bus. It takes about 7 minutes for the bus to come, and finally the bus arrives, and the bus takes me over to the next terminal, and I get into the terminal, and I look with the monitor, and the monitor says, gate 32. So I find out which way gate 32 is, and proceeded to run, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and because, of course, gate 32 is on the opposite end of the terminal. So when I get to gate 32, there is nobody there except for one airlines person, and out the window, I see no plane. And I say, where's the plane? And the person says to me, oh, this is the gate to catch the bus to the terminal where the plane is. 
So I run down the ramp to the bus, and the bus takes me half away around the airport to the next terminal, inside the next terminal, look up at the monitor, it says gate five, and despite its low number, I realize that gate five is on the other end of the terminal. I run all the way to the other end of the terminal, and I get there, and there's nobody there except for one airlines person, and I get to the desk huffing and puffing, and the airline person says to me, are you Mr. McConnell? <laughs> and I say yes, and he says, well, Mr. McConnell, we've been waiting for you. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Kinder words I've never heard. <laughs> so Jesus walks up and down the dusty trails of Palestine and says, welcome aboard. To all those folks who think that they're the last to be invited, to all those folks who think they're late for the plane, for all those folks who don't think they've got the right ticket, Jesus says, welcome aboard. Come on in. The party's going on. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for you and you and you and all. And can we call that the party of kindness. Is that not our first act of business, putting on the party of kindness, killing the fat of calf and inviting the whole town to come and say to whoever shows up, well, Mr. Smith, we've been waiting for you. We've been waiting just for you, whoever you are, whatever baggage you've got, whatever places you've been, like the old Curtis Mayfield song, people get ready, there's a train coming, you don't need no baggage, you just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesels humming, you don't need no ticket, you just thank the Lord. Just a little kindness, right, goes a long way, just a little compassion for the hurts of life, just a little mercy for the broken pieces, just a little grace for all the sins we all share. Love Life Celebrate is what we're calling that party that's going on out there. Some good food, good music, good weather, good people. But the first order of business is kindness. Because it's an unkind world. It's an unkind world. Lots of folks think the church is especially unkind. Free lunch, but maybe they don't come. So we get to be in this party business, even us Presbyterians. <laughs> right? It was H.L. Mencken who said that a Puritan was someone who harbored the haunting fear that someone somewhere might be having a good time. <laughs> May it never be said of us. So we make our commitments today. We share our hearts. We share from these hearts the love that we have been unconditionally graced with. We pledge our time, our talent, and treasure, sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And in a very real sense, what we're doing is that we're signing up to host the party, volunteering to come alongside Jesus to throw another bash, getting in line with hands forward to say, Mrs. Jones, welcome aboard. We've been waiting for you. Reinhold Niebuhr said, people must be charmed into righteousness. Maybe it doesn't take a whole lot more 
than a couple of eggs and a few kind words. Let us pray. The kingdom of God is as if someone gave a great party and invited many, 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 many. Gracious God, we know that you are never satisfied until the table is full and the table is never full until all are here. We bless you that you invite us to throw the party with you, to kill the fatted calf, to put on the ritz, so that all will learn that they are welcome, the poor, the rich, the young, the old, the fortunate, the unfortunate, the lame, the helpless. We bring these commitments this morning. May they be with the same generosity as the one who most generously invites us all. This we pray in Jesus' name.